Welcome to the hills, whether you're at West uh, Fort Worth campus, South Lake campus, North Richard Hills campus, or you're a part of our huge online community, I want to begin by just saying thank you. So several weeks ago, I shared that my wife and I were going to go out of the country for a time, visiting uh, North Africa and Europe and encouraging people that are sharing the good news of Jesus in those places. And I ask you to pray for me. And sometimes I'm asked, can you feel prayer? Can you tell you're being prayed for? And the answer is, yes, you can. I felt your prayers. I felt the cover. And I am so grateful. So thank you for that. But I just have to say, too, I'm glad to be home. And I am proud to be an American. I love my country. In the first 24 hours when I got back, I went to Chick-fil-A twice, and I had a plate of enchiladas, okay? <laughs> because there are just some things that you don't appreciate until you can't have them and you miss them. I, I missed ESPN. Now, they have sports television over there, but I just want to talk about soccer. I want real sports, okay? <laughs> and... I miss being able to go to a public restroom and not having to pay to use it. I miss that. And I cannot tell you how much I miss crushed ice and free refills. Oh, I love my country, okay? And isn't it true that many things we take for granted until we miss them? And that can be true of the gospel. That is, in fact... You don't realize how amazing grace is until you are in a place where grace is missing. And I was in such a place, and I'll tell you more about it in a moment. So for the next six weeks, all the way up to Easter weekend, we are going to be studying a book in your New Testament called the book or the letter to the Galatians. So a little background, okay? What we call the New Testament starts with four books. They're called Gospels, and they tell the story of Jesus from the perspective of four different authors. After that is a book called Acts that tells the first few decades history of the first Christians and the first churches after Jesus ascended. Now, in that book, you meet a man named Saul, a devout Jew that hated the Jesus movement and was trying to destroy it when he had a divine encounter with the resurrected Christ. He became Paul, the great missionary. In chapter 13, the Spirit calls Paul and his friend Barnabas to go on what we might call the very first ever global mission trip. Now, Paul's strategy was Jew first and then the Gentile. So when Paul went into a town, the first thing he'd do is go to the synagogue and preach to the Jews. But he got on this trip up to a part of the world that today we call Central Turkey. But back then, it was called Galatia. And when Paul got to Galatia, he didn't go to the synagogue first because there wasn't a synagogue. He went to a part of the world that was almost completely populated by Gentile people. And this is big. He never once told a single Gentile, you have to become a Jew in order to become a Christian. Instead, he just boldly preached that the death and the resurrection of Jesus were sufficient 
to save anybody regardless of their status or their past or their ethnicity. Look how Galatians begins. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. So, right off the bat, we can see Paul's gospel is not God helps those who help themselves. Paul's gospel is God helps the helpless. Paul says salvation is a rescue operation. That you were in bondage. You had to be released. It had to be a work of God to set you free from the dominion of Satan and bring you into a kingdom where you could begin to experience right now life as it will be in the age to come. So, Paul would say, you're not escaping the present evil age. But you're no longer in bondage to it. You have been rescued. This is the good news of God's amazing grace. But grace will always seem too good to be true to some. And so, there were some people, the Pharisees, who became Christians. And they were from Jerusalem. When they heard what Paul was doing up in Galatia, they, without authorization took off and went to those new Christians and said, okay, hold up, Paul's a good guy, but he didn't tell you the whole story. He only gave you part of the gospel. Uh, You know, he's not even really an apostle. The real apostles are down in Jerusalem where we're from. Now think about it. Jesus was a Jew. Jesus was circumcised. Jesus kept the law of Moses. Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies about the Messiah. So, doesn't it make sense that you need to be a Jew to be a Christian? That you need to follow Moses if you're going to follow Jesus. Now, it's important to understand they did not deny the work of Christ. What they denied was that the work of Christ was enough to rescue them. You need what Christ did and you need to follow the law of Moses and be circumcised. Okay, someone's saying, time out. I'm new. I don't know what that word circumcision means. What is circumcision? Okay, if you really, really want to know in detail, I want you to email taylor.walling at thehills.org, okay? And he'll give you all the attention you need. I'm going to give you the very short definition. That when God called Abraham and said, you're going to be the father of a nation that I'm going to use for my redemptive mission to reach all the nations of the world. And we're going to enter a covenant. And this is going to be the sign. Every male baby boy, when he's eight days old, you cut off the foreskin of his male organ. That's a symbol that you as a people have been cut off or separated for my mission. That's what circumcision is. And it's easy to promote circumcision if it was done when you were eight days old and you can't remember it. It's a totally different thing to tell grown men you've got to be circumcised in order to be saved. 
Can you imagine the mission implications? If we said to men today around the world, in order to be a Christian, you've got to be circumcised. Here's what would happen. Men all over the world would drive the family to church in a minivan, and they'd let the wife and the kids out and say, y'all go on to church, I'm going to stay out here and read the sports section. Paul is furious because they have changed the gospel. He is one angry rabbi. So what he does, he takes off to Jerusalem, that's Acts chapter 15, because that's the source, that's where this was coming from. He's going to cut it off, but before he goes... He writes the Galatian churches. And in his letter, he's going to ask two questions over and over. The first question, is Jesus' work enough to save us? And the second question, is Jesus' spirit enough to change us? Now, these are huge questions that we're still wrestling with today. And Galatians is going to rescue us from wrong answers to these questions. So here's what we're going to do. The next six weeks, we're going to cover the whole book, which means we got to do a lot of reading. In your community group, I hope you'll get the questions we've prepared, and you'll go over every verse together. So we're going to start a long reading. I want you just to follow along. And remember, they had been saying, Paul's not a real apostle, and Paul hasn't preached the full gospel. And Paul is going to respond, and he is mad. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting. Notice, not what I taught. Not a, you're not deserting the teaching. You're deserting God. You are deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all, evidently. Some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. I told you he's mad. As we've already said. So now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you've heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal a son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I didn't go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went to Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus, and then after three days, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stay within 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God, what I'm writing to you is no lie. And then I went to Syria and Cilicia, and I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report 
The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praise God because of me. And then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus also along. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders. I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. Now this matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As for those who were held in high esteem, whether they were makes no difference to me. God doesn't show favoritism. But they added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James and Cephas and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. Now, I know that was a long, heady reading, but this is huge because Paul has been accused of not only not being an apostle, but not preaching an adequate gospel. They have been saying that Jesus' work is not enough to save us, and Jesus' spirit is not enough to change us. And Paul is going to defend the gospel of grace as the only gospel that can rescue. For one reason, because it rescues us from false paths to God. Now, I know it's politically correct to say coexist and all roads go to heaven. Paul did not believe that. He said that is an affront to the death and resurrection of Jesus. Why did God let Jesus be crucified if he didn't have to be so that we could be right with God? Paul's going to be strong. He says there are some views out there about how to get to God that need to be cursed. Because they take away from the curse-removing work of Jesus. Look again at verse 6 and 7. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ. And are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Later he says some are trying to pervert the gospel. And that word literally means to make it the opposite of what it actually is. Now listen hard, okay? Whenever somebody says, here is what Jesus did, and here is what you must do, they just undid what Jesus did. See, I grew up with this gospel. I grew up in a church that had tracks on the wall that literally said, man's part in salvation. And you could read everything that you had to do to be saved and never once read about the cross of Jesus. Let me say it again. When you tell people, 
Here is what Jesus did, and here is what you must do. You just undid what Jesus did. You didn't improve the gospel. You destroyed it. You see, the good news is not that we can be rescued. Every religion teaches that. Every religion teaches you how you can build a bridge to reach God. They just give you different tools. But it's the same thing. You can build a bridge to preach God. The good news is not that we can be rescued. The good news is that we can be rescued by grace. The good news is God has built the bridge. And so, the good news is not learn what you must do. The good news is look what Jesus did. And Paul insists, this is the only gospel that comes straight from heaven. Look again at verse 11 and 12. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preach is not of human origin. Now, you hear that a lot, that they just made up the story about Jesus several hundred years later, despite the manuscript evidence. People just came along and made up these stories about Jesus, and Christianity is just a man-made religion. He said, I want you to know. It's not of human origin. I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Paul says, if it came from an angel, let it be cursed. If a man created it, let it be cursed. The good news that saves comes from God himself. Let me ask you a question. Why would anyone make up a religion where God becomes one of us and dies. You don't make that stuff up. Who else has a religion where someone else is willing to take my place and die for my sins? You see, every other religion is built on the word attainment. This is what you do to build the bridge. The Christian faith is built on the word atonement. This is how God built the bridge for you. So Paul says, that's what I preached. Nobody taught me this. Jesus taught me this. And when I went down to Jerusalem and I said, this is the gospel that I got from Jesus. You know what they said? They said, that's the same gospel that we got from Jesus. Because Jesus has only given us one gospel. And here's what I believe with all my heart. The same Jesus is still revealing the same gospel to people today who need to be rescued. So in North Africa, we met a young man. He grew up in the Muslim faith, but his mother also dabbled in spiritism and opened up her life to impact by demons and caused great turmoil in the home. He was sad and dejected and depressed. He had heard about Jesus through his Islamic background. He got a copy of the Gospels. He could tell that these were holy words. But they said things about Jesus that were so different than what he was taught, and he was so confused. He realized they were two completely different messages, and they couldn't both be true. He took a copy of the Quran. He took a copy of the Gospels. He put them under his pillow. He said, God, you need to reveal yourself to me which story is the truth. And that night, he had a dream, and Jesus appeared and said, I am the God who knows you. And he began 
a follower of Jesus. And stories like that are happening all over the world. You know why? Because Jesus is still in the rescuing business. And grace is still rescuing people from false paths to God and also from former ways of life. You see, grace was not just something Paul explained. Grace was the only way to explain Paul. He said, you've heard of my previous way of life. You've heard the stories of what I used to be like. There's no plausible explanation for the profound change in Paul apart from a gracious encounter with the resurrected Christ. Look at what he said to Timothy. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I'm the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. And then others will realize they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul said, I'm proof that God can save anybody. I am living proof the grace of God can rescue anybody. You realize the very first trophy of grace was a dying criminal? He's on a cross. What is he going to do to build a bridge? All he could do is turn to Jesus and say, I'm trusting you. You build the bridge. This is how grace rescues. And every one of you has a testimony like that. I used to be, but thanks to the grace of God, now I am. And when I say every one of you, I mean all of you that were rescued from rebellion and all of us who were rescued from religion. Because some of us were former prodigals. And some of us, like me, were former elder brothers. You see, for a long time, I lived my life in bondage to a graceless gospel. Don't misunderstand. I was taught the death and resurrection of Jesus. I was taught that Jesus started the salvation process, but I had to finish it. I was taught this is what Jesus has done. And then I was given a long list of things I better do. I better get my life right. And I better get all my doctrines right. And I for sure better go to a church that does church right. And I know because I've lived it, what it produces. It produces a religion that doesn't have an intimate relationship with Jesus. It produces knowledge without any joy. And it absolutely produces no assurance. A friend of mine went to the bedside of his dying dad, godly man, not a single bad word about him in the whole town he'd lived in for 80 years. An elder in the church of Jesus Christ. And his father was trembling. He said, Daddy, what are you afraid of? And his father said, Son, I'm just afraid I haven't done enough to go to heaven. And any gospel 
that could rob a man like that of his joy and his assurance needs to be cursed. It is damnable. And some of you have lived that. Some of you need to be rescued from religion and experience the joyous freedom of the gospel of grace. And here's what's holding you back. Fear. Well, what motivation would anyone have to be the kind of person they ought to be if Jesus takes care of everything? If Jesus is just going to forgive everything, then what motivation would I have to, to get away from my sin and to be a good person? And this is why legalism exists. Legalism exists because people believe they can't become the people they ought to be depending only on the Spirit of God. They need a bunch of rules. And the thinking is rules help people change. And that kind of thinking needs to change. Grace rescues us from futile pursuits of holiness. And here's why rules are never going to produce character transformation. External rules cannot change internal desires. They can manage behavior. They cannot change the longing of the heart. Only the Spirit of God can do that. And so the question that Galatians ask is, do we trust that the grace of God manifest in the work of Christ, empowered by His Spirit, is sufficient to produce the kind of people that look like Jesus? Now, this was Paul's whole point in bringing Titus. Why did he do that? He said, I brought him on purpose. He has not been circumcised. He is a Greek, and I wanted to show the people in Jerusalem the kind of man that my gospel produces. Look at Titus. Look at his values. Look at his character. Look at his life. This is what my gospel produces. And Titus was exhibit A that grace can change what rules could never produce. Because grace provides a motivation that rules can never create. Do you remember when that woman caught in adultery was brought to Jesus? And she deserved condemnation and she's waiting for him to speak. And here's what he said to her. Neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on don't sin anymore. Do you think that woman got up and said, oh good, I'm not condemned. I can go have all the adultery I want. Or do you think maybe for the first time in her life she said, a love like that has changed and transformed me. And I don't want this life anymore. This is huge. Rules-based religion produces, I got to. And grace-based faith produces, I get to. I got to go to church. That's what you do if you're a good Christian. Don't always like it. In fact, sometimes I'm glad the kids are sick so I don't have to go. But let's be honest. You got to go to church or else you go to hell. I get to go to church, y'all. I can't wait for Sunday. I get around the table and I think about what Christ has done to rescue me. I can't wait. I get to go to church, y'all. I got to stop sinning. You know, you can't have fun and be a Christian. That's the deal. You got to spend the rest of your life not having any fun and then to trade, you get to go to heaven. 
I get to be the person I've always wanted to be, y'all. I tried in my flesh. I didn't have enough willpower. Now the Spirit of God is changing my heart, changing what I want. I get to finally be the person I've always wanted to be. I guess I got to tell people about Jesus. Boy, I hate it. It's so awkward. They're always saying, invite someone to come to church. You ever tried that? Makes me feel weird. But I guess if you're a good Christian, you, you got to. <laughs> I get to tell people how God's changed my life. I pray every day, God, give me a chance to tell one more person what you've done to me. I get to talk about Jesus, y'all. People don't change so that God will love them. People experience the love of God, and they start to change. You don't tell people, get your act together, and you receive grace. But you tell people, you have received grace, and it'll motivate you to get your act together. Grace doesn't let you get away with sin. Grace motivates you to do away with sin. The mother sent her freshman off to college. She visited the fall break. She knew his dorm room would be a total mess. She was shocked at all the obscene posters on the wall. Didn't say a word. At Christmas, she gave him a picture of Jesus. She went back at spring break. Same dorm room, still messy, but all those posters were down. She said, your room looks different, son. He knew exactly what she was implying, Mama. When Jesus came into the room, all the other stuff just needed to go. That's what Galatians is about. Is Jesus' work enough to save us? And is Jesus' spirit enough to change us? So, in the country I was in, North Africa, the people we support will never plant a church. It's illegal. They'll never hold a seminar. They'll never have a conference. I said, how can you disciple people? Oh, well, we give them the Gospels. And we tell them, read about Jesus and do what he did. And I'll never forget one of the missionaries said, we'd rather them know a little bit and do everything they know than know a whole lot and only do some of it. Do you believe that's enough? That you can give somebody the story of Jesus, have them surrender their heart to Christ, receive the Holy Spirit, and that's enough. Because any time we put faith in anything besides God's power released through faith in Christ's work, we're trusting a different gospel. And only one gospel can rescue. Now, if I have seemed passionate today, I want you to know I am. Because I spent four days in a land without grace. I spent four days in a land that for 1,500 years has labored under a worldview that God is not gracious. You better keep Him impressed. You better work and build. And I saw the consequences. It's not a land where forgiveness is quick, where trust is easy. It's a land where vengeance is real. There are huge consequences of a system 
that has no place for grace. And I'm prayer walking one day, and I just feel the oppression. I just start to plead to God, God, they need, to sh- they need to experience your grace. We need a revival here. We need a supernatural showering of grace. And I realized again, folks, grace isn't part of the story. It's the whole story. Grace is all or nothing. Grace is for all of you. And all is by grace. We act sometimes like grace is the diving board, and then you jump into the pool. No, grace is the whole pool. It's all grace. On the cross, Jesus didn't say, I got it started. He said, it is finished. And so Peter said, I want you to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He doesn't mean, I want you to study the doctrine. I want you to learn all the different Greek and Hebrew words for grace. I want you to grow in your confidence in grace. I want you to grow in your experience of the love of Christ. I want you to grow in the empowering that comes when you trust God for your strength. I want you to grow in your boldness in proclaiming the grace of God. Grow in grace won't set you free to do whatever you want to do it'll set you free to become everything God has always wanted you to be I got some good news for all of you that have been trapped in godless rebellion and all of you who've been trapped in joyless religion I got some good news you can be rescued. That's the good news, the gospel of grace. Let me pray over you so God, shower us with a fresh awareness of your grace. Saturate our hearts, God, with a new capacity to appreciate your grace to enjoy your grace, to trust your grace, to proclaim your grace, to let your grace own and change our hearts. God, we pray. We pray to be saturated with a new awareness of the wonder of your amazing grace. Set somebody free today, God. I'm praying right now someone's listening to my voice and they will be able to tell their testimony somewhere down the road and they will be able to say, it was on March the 1st, 2020. That's the day I was rescued by the grace of God. I ask for this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.